Welcome to the California Wireless Association podcast. We are proud to say that Kawa has been advancing the wireless industry, helping businesses grow, fostering connections between people, and impacting lives through the charities we support for over 10 years. We'll be coming to you bi-weekly with new topics, education, and lively discussions. Let's dive right into today's topic. Please welcome your host, John Coombs. Welcome to another episode of the California Wireless Association podcast. As usual, this is John Coos. I'm a senior vice president at Butler America Telecom and a Kawa board member. Today, you are in for a treat on a couple levels. First, my guest is T-Mobile alumni Kamal Salarangani, who is now an executive vice president at SpinLaunch, a very innovative satellite company. Secondly, this episode was recorded live on April 28th at the Wireless West Conference at the Red Rock Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas. Without further ado, here's that live interview. So once again, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you that are joining us out at the exhibit booth, we encourage you to come on inside and join us. Our program right now is about to begin, and as we kick things off, well, I think it's only appropriate that we give a nice warm welcome to a very lovely lady. She's your moderator for today. She's also the founder of E-Factor. Ladies and gentlemen, put a nice warm welcome together for Carrie Willis. Well, welcome. Do we all have drinks? First and foremost, let me see them. Come on. If you're not drinking, why? A question. No, just kidding. Um, Well, thank you for showing up, for being here, and cheers. Ah, that helps. All right. Well, first things first, uh, we want to run through real quick again and thank our sponsors. It's super important. We can't do this without them. And we're thrilled a lot of them are back with us in 24. So Platinum Sponsor, Vertical Bridge. Our opening sponsor, Motive, for a great party. And then another great party last night with Caldwell Compliance. Hope you guys enjoyed. Our gold sponsors, Enorsa, Extinet. Silver sponsors, Phoenix Towers, Tower Co. And our bronze sponsors, APC Towers, GME Supply, and Network Connects. And of course, all of our sponsors in the exhibit hall that we've been giving love to, all of our golf sponsors, we really can't do it without you. But let's jump right into what we have for today. And actually, we are making history today for Wireless West. It's a first. We are doing a podcast live right here on the stage. I don't know if anybody, give me a raise of hands, who's listened to the Cowboy podcast? Oh, all right. Okay. We'll take that. 25% of the room. I like it. Um, Kawa does have a podcast. Um, Comes out every two weeks. Please tune in. There's great content on there. If you ever want to join us and be a guest, please reach out. We'd love to have you on it. But we've got a great lineup here for you with these guys. So it's my pleasure to bring back up onto the stage the president of California Wireless Association, Rod De La Rosa. Coming in style, yes. Apparently Rod didn't like mimosas or Bloody Mary, so he just pulled up a full bucket of beers. Right? And here's what I'm going to ask, is Rod's coming up 
because it's going to be a little more intimate today. All you folks over there, if you would join us and just come right here, we've got everyone in the middle, we would love it. So we can be a little more interactive with our sessions as we go today. But Thank you, Carrie, for all you cheers. do. Cheers, my friend. Cheers. All right. I love my theme song. So Parliament, for those old school people, uh, grew up with, so now anytime I enter a room, whether it's a, a meeting at T-Mobile, I'm going to ask them to play that for me. So when I was on stage uh, yesterday, which I had a great time doing, I said I had a bucket of beer, and I offered it. No, there was no takers. There was no takers. So I talked to Sean at dinner last night, and Sean said, I got a bucket too. So um, when this one empties, we got another one backstage. So we'll figure out how to get in the hands of people who are empty-handed right now. So I'm here to introduce the podcast. Carrie did a great job of describing and explaining what we do. And I saw that there is 25% of folks that have listened to the podcast. After today, I'm hoping it's 100%. And so we know we got a smaller room. Um, and the podcast, as you would imagine, is filmed in a studio. So this is a big studio. You folks are studio members. And so when you applaud or say something, make it sound like you're 400 people. Right, because that's where we're gonna kind of, you know, when you're when you're doing a podcast, they can't see the room, so we can make this as big as we fucking want. So we will do that. A little bit about the podcast. So, 37 episodes last in the last two years, uh, we kicked it off to showcase our members, and we kicked it off to showcase some other people. So we're looking outside of our membership. So Calwa has 1,500 members. My goal as president, uh, you may have saw my video the other day, is to increase the numbers but also looking for those, the young talent, right, that's coming up on our industry because gray-bearded guys like me, gray-haired guys like me, we're not going to be around much longer, or at least I'll just speak for myself because I want to be on a beach somewhere at some point, but I also want to bring in that, that, that influx of people. So this podcast is an opportunity to listen to uh, great speakers, vibrant speakers. Uh, we had uh, Jonathan Kramer was a, was a popular one, maybe John Coos, uh, who I'll introduce here in a little bit, could give us some stats on some of our, our analytics on the pod. Uh, but anyway, you're here, you're part of history, as, as uh, Carrie mentioned, 37 episodes. Our first episode was April 21st, 2021. So it's still April, so we'll, just, we'll call this our two-year anniversary of the pod that you guys are gonna be a live part of today. So, uh, bringing on the stage uh, is my friend, John Coos, uh, Vice President, Butler America. Uh, John and I go way back before he was at Butler. Here he is. Give him a round of applause, please, our host. Yes. 400 people today, John. We got 400 people right here in the front. Yeah, don't. Yeah, move it to the front. Don't be shy. There's no. Yeah. Great. So John and I, before you know, he became a big star. Uh, we knew each other at Whalen and Company. And if anybody remembers that, I know Stephanie Whitlock's here somewhere. So if there's Backstage, we got another Whalen alum. So we got a Whalen alum on stage. John, John, John's going to introduce his guest today, and I'll let him do that. But I do want to say a couple things about his guest because he's another dear friend, a former colleague of mine at T-Mobile. I love this guy. You'll get uh, some inspiration from him. I won't. Uh, I'll give John the honors, other than to say that this man is a true entrepreneur who follows his north star and is living his genuine self. So, do you mind if I sit on the podcast with you today, John? Do I want to what? Do you mind if I sit in on the podcast with you guys today? I'm sorry. Do you mind if I sit in with you guys Oh, today? I want you to. I need, okay. I need you to. All right. I okay. need you to. There's yeah. a bucket of beer right there. Right on, man. Okay, okay cool. So, um, yes, we're very lucky to, today to have um, 
Kamal Sadarangani, a former T-Mobile um, regional director. He's now with um, Spin Launch. A, um, well, we'll get into what that is in a second. He's the um, executive vice president of commercialization at Spin Launch. And before we bring out Kamal, let's roll the Spin Launch video. Sadarangani. Give me a big hand. <laughs> Amen. All right. So a little bit more about Kamal. Uh, he did some hard time at T-Mobile. Now he's in uh, the exciting world of satellites. Uh, he's got a um, bachelor's degree in engineering from the University of Mumbai and an MS from USC in, in electrical engineering. Won't hold that against you. My daughter went to UCLA. Right on. Go Bruins. Um, <laughs> you know, um, I, I used to do a lot of zoning hearings, right, back in the day. Rod did a lot of zoning hearings back in the day. And um, it was not uncommon for a planning commissioner to ask me, when, are the, when is all this going to be covered from space? And, you know, why do we need all these cell sites? And I would say something like this was like 20 years ago. Well, we can. We can do it. But it's like $10 a minute, and the call quality sucks. And I usually parked them, right? But um, it's not that far off anymore, is it? No, it's not. Um, so for me, it's uh, been part of the wireless industry for the past two decades. Enjoyed deploying technologies from 1G to 5G. So when I looked at space, it, it provided such a unique opportunity. Um, things have changed. So when we look at satellite communications, right, people wonder, they've been around forever. So what's new now? What's different now? Why all this excitement around it? So to understand it, you have to understand first uh, the different orbits that have existed. So when you look at uh, traditional satellite communication services, like you mentioned, they are expensive. That's because these satellites are really big, really expensive, and really far. So think about these large satellites 22,000 miles from the surface of the Earth, and they're spinning with the Earth. But it's like a macro site. It provides this large umbrella coverage covering most of the globe, right? But because it's far, you have a lot of latency. What's changed now is the advent of non-geosynchronous satellites, things like medium Earth orbit and low Earth orbit. Um, medium Earth orbit would be satellites that are about you know, that 3,000 to about 15,000 mile range. You think about satellites that do navigation. So they, they're a bit closer to the Earth, but still not as close as the LEOs. When you think about what Starlink has done, Starlink's built this constellation of low Earth orbit satellites about 300 miles from the surface of the Earth, just zipping around, providing lower latency and speeds like 200, 250 megabits per second. So it's like this. The geo satellites were the macro, the MEO satellites were like the micro, and you look at the LEO as the small cells. Hmm. So we're in the middle of a big, small cell deployment. Cost of satellites have gotten lower. Cost of launch has gotten lower. There's a lot of interest from the VC community 
to invest in this technology. So you hear about carriers then talk about, okay, well, how can we utilize it? Um, fiber is not going to get everywhere. It just doesn't. In fact, when you look at just, just the U.S., we have 50% of the households that don't have fiber. 50% this day and age, right? And there are going to be places that will never get fiber. So the question is, how do you create this network, this ubiquitous network that provides you wide connectivity on land, at sea, in the air? Because people are used to their Instagram. They want to post these videos. They love their TikToks. We'll see how long that's legal, but they love their TikToks. They do. So the, the idea is, how do you create this convergent strategy mixed with fiber, fixed wireless, and satellite fills a unique niche in that, in that area? So yesterday we had a panel on AI and impacts on uh, um, what we do. I think some people got kind of freaked out a little bit, like the idea that maybe, you know, T-Mobile needs 6G mods done in a few years. You could just drop all, all 40,000 sites or whatever the number is in just into an AI program and then they can be modded to like 80 or 90% of what they need to be in five minutes. So that's freaking people out. Um, along these lines, when you talk about satellites, I'm sure people are thinking, shoot, I mean, is this gonna replace the terrestrial network? Like, are they gonna go by, by the way of like, like, like telegraph lines? I mean, or, or are they all, will there always be a need for the terrestrial working with, maybe touch on that. Yeah, so AI freaks me out too. Yeah. I'll be honest there. But it's in a good way and, uh, you know, I have my concerns around it too. But when I look at what does the world of the future look like when we talk about connectivity, the foundation will always be fiber. So whether it's uh, microwave, whether it's cell sites, whether it's fiber to your home, or whether it's even satellites, because you need gateways with fiber so you can connect to those satellites. There will be, be a need for fiber in most of the land, so I don't see that going away. In fact, we're in the advent of building so much fiber it's, oh, yeah. it's going to be great for the next seven or eight years. Um, when I look at wireless, whether it's uh, 5G or fixed wireless or any of that, or microwave even, mm -hmm. it creates, it's another tool in the toolkit to extend that coverage where it doesn't make sense to extend that fiber. Right, right. And then beyond that, you have satellite communications where you, you think of these far off areas, think of a mine out in the middle of nowhere. You're looking at some autonomous cases. How do you get connectivity there? Mm -hmm. More than likely, you're not gonna run fiber to it. You will use satellite services. When you're out in your cruise ships, you're out in right. planes, you're looking at autonomous ships, autonomous flying, all this autonomous stuff. Always there's an underpinning of connectivity. Mm -hmm. And it, to me, I, I think the key is not replacement, it's convergence. Mm -hmm. It's a convergence of creating a true ubiquitous network. Right, excellent. So when we went from 3G to 4G, it was, it was a mind blower, if those who remember buffering on, on YouTube, right? But 4G to 5G, I don't think the average person understands how powerful 5G is to 4, because it doesn't really impact their daily life, or at least they don't think, they don't consciously recognize that it does, right? So with respect to 5G or even in the future, um, 250 megabit download speeds is, it doesn't beat fiber, right? Fiber can go 10 gig download speeds in, you know, now in theory. Talk about latency with regarding satellites and because 250 is pretty low, um, you know, if we're talking about, you know, 
automated driving and things like that. So th there's a lot to unpack there. Right? Sorry. <laughs> so st starting with 5G, I hear this all the time. Well, there's, the carriers aren't able to monetize 5G. What's the point? If we can't monetize 5G, why don't we go to, why are we going to 6G? There's one thing that I want to make, you know, like, that, that, that's near and dear to my heart. I love 5G, right? And then the power that it brings. Uh, you can do, you have almost double the spectral efficiency on 5G compared to 4G. So even though the carriers are not, quote unquote, monetizing it, in a way they are. Because now they can handle more traffic with the same spectrum, almost double arguably, with 5G. Which allows them to then provide more use cases like fixed wireless that you're seeing out in the media. Which allows them to do things like looking at private networks, which then creates a foundation for network slicing on IoT and all these different applications. Right. Um, when it comes down to um, satellites uh, and latency, you look at LEO satellites, they're somewhere in the range of 50 milliseconds, mm -hmm. right? Still not the sub 10, sub milli one millisecond that folks talk about on, on the 5G side. But it's generally good for most use cases. This right. is where edge comes in, right? So when you put, edge is just a fancy word for getting computers and compute power closer to the consumer. So it's not big, a big network load or to add that latency. So when I look at this, you know, um, confluence of events of getting equipment closer to the customers, when I see this element of ubiquitous connectivity and the advances that we see, because in the past you would launch a geosatellite every 10 years, mm -hmm. size of a school bus, $200 million each satellite, right? Right, right? Now with launch costs getting lower, satellite sizes getting smaller, uh, we're, we're in the situation now where you're going to see a lot more of these launches. The lifeline of a lifetime of a LEO satellite is somewhere around five years. Okay. So now the CapEx cycles become closer to what we're used to in the wireless world, okay. where now you can get faster speeds as new technology comes into play. Right on. Hey, Rod, you want to jump in on anything? I do. I have a, a, I don't know if it's a burning question, but you mentioned earlier how you and I are, I'll use the term, zone, we're old zoning dogs, right? Yeah, we've we've yeah. been around for a while and permitting is what we do, uh, educating is what we do. But in, in your space, in your world, how does that translate? I mean, the permitting for a satellite to get that launched is that extensive? I mean, I, I just try. I don't. I even. I don't even imagine how how uh, intricate and bureaucracy bureaucracy is involved, red tape involved with the satellite launch. Yeah. So before I answer that, I'll go into what Spin Launch does. Okay. Right? So what Spin Launch does is we built a launcher that takes the rocket out of the equation of launching satellites. Right. Okay. The rocket is ninety percent fuel. 90% of a rocket's weight is fuel. So the founder and CEO of our company, Jonathan Yaney, great innovator, said there has to be a better way. Um, the Spin Launch team developed this technology where you put a 200 kilogram small satellite onto a smaller launch vehicle, spin it up to Mach 6 speeds, fling it up in the air, and when it reaches 200,000 feet, the, the rockets turn on, put the satellites in orbit. Wow, it's amazing. Total game changer. Yeah. Now what you can do is five to seven launches a day in any kind of, any kind of environment, any kind of um, situation, get the cost of launch much mm -hmm. lower, right? We then progress it much further into saying, okay, well, how do we get the cost of satellites to be lower? So with our innovative engineers, once again, they said, well, let's apply mass manufacturing techniques, more of this commercial off-the-shelf hardware, 
and be really innovative in how <coughs> satellites and get them down to these lower costs. Wow. We did that too. So shameless plug before I answer Rod's question. That's fine. If you're looking for launch services or for us to build satellites, definitely reach out to me. We do cool shit. <laughs> that so, should be on your, on your business card, buddy. Yeah, right? right? <laughs> so to answer this question, now my passion is 5G connectivity, ubiquitous connectivity. That's what drives me. Um, to answer your question in terms of the regulatory environment, to make these birds work up in the air, there is a need for ground infrastructure. So there are a few things that need to happen. You do still need to get your licenses from not only, uh, it's more of an international game. So now you're talking about regulatory, not at the local planning level. You're talking about regulatory more at national levels. It starts with the FCC, could be the ITU, getting your spectrum, and then each country needs landing rights, which can be a long cycle in itself. So I mean, you can think to yourself, if the satellites are up in the air, they're transmitting, anyone can access them. Well, technically, yes. But when you look at it from a compliance standpoint, no, because you need those landing rights in each individual country. Wow. So what you saw with Starlink is uh, during the Russia-Ukraine war, mm -hmm. it was basically Ukraine giving Starlink permission to say, okay, yes, you can put your terminals in here and start accessing your network. Wow. So there's a lot to be done on the regulatory front uh, when it comes to looking at getting these landing rights in each of these different uh, uh, countries. And then what's more relevant when I look at, you know, going back to the convergence example, mm -hmm. You still need gateways on the ground. Gateways are basically a whole bunch of antennas that are connected via fiber. So what you, in essence, are building is a shelter with really large antennas right. connected with fiber. Yeah. Uh, as more and more satellites go up in the air, right? It used to be, I don't know, 200. Now there are thousands with Kuiper coming in, Viasat 3. There's going to be more and more of these satellites that are going to need that support on the ground. Mm -hmm. It'll lead to much more activity even on the regulatory front, but a lot's needed to reduce the timeline similar to the, to the wireless world. Incredible answer from the hardware and how you launch it, everything. I think the only thing that you don't have that we have is angry neighbors coming to your hearings. So, I mean, <laughs> so that's the, you know, thankfully, right? It's only a matter of time. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let, let's uh, shift gears real quick. Um, I, I see, a, I see a, a, a clock that makes me really nervous. So, uh, <laughs> But um, we, we talked about um, how some homes, well, 50% of homes in America don't have fiber. Well, you know, if you go to the third world or developing nations, right? Um, I spent a lot of time in Mexico and in the state of Jalisco uh, with my Rotary Club back in the day doing charity work at an orphanage, right? I don't even think they had copper, much less fiber, right? So maybe you could talk about how satellite technology with regard to you know, telecommunications is a game changer for developing nations. <laughs> That's so true. Um, about 37% of the world, or 2.93 billion people of the world don't have access to the internet. Three billion today. And that leads to that point of how do we get this access out to them, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. When you can create service where the terminal costs are really low, when you can create programs, and in, in, in developing countries, the need is for a public-private partnership. Mm -hmm. Somewhat similar to what's really driving fiber deployment in this country, it truly is bead that's like really right. accelerating yep. efforts. More public-private par partnerships are needed, less regulatory, mm -hmm. and open to open up that access. Because at the end of the day, there's an interesting fact, which is even if you can provide, even if folks in developing countries have access to the technology, they're still not using it. Mm -hmm. One, because it's still too expensive. Right. And two, there's an education gap. 
So we have to fix this baseline of ubiquitous connectivity, mm -hmm. couple it with some subsidies to help folks that need it, mm -hmm. and couple it with training so they know the impact they can have. Yeah, no, it could probably be a whole podcast talking about oh, for sure. the impact on, on developing nations with respect to freedom and democracy and everything else for that matter. So, um, well, we've only got a few minutes left. Um, I do want to ask a couple more questions, but uh, what, what do you um, want more than anything um, our audience to take away from our short discussion about satellites and technology and, and telecommunications? They do, they do cool stuff. What's that? They do cool stuff, do like cool he said. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'd say a few things, which would be one, space is cool. Space is cool. Space is cool. Right? Uh, fantastic. Love it. Yeah. Right? Um, love wireless. You should be, you should do podcast full time. You should be in fashion. <laughs> um, you should see the check I get from these because it's, it's phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but if there's one thing I want folks to take away is that this is not like an all or nothing game. The work that you do is impactful to deliver ubiquitous connectivity. It starts with all the different generations of technology. And we keep hearing these things about six more years, this project will be done. Six more years, something else will take over, right? There's still a lot to do for the next 10 years, the next 20 years. When you look at all these, it's going to be different. It is going to be different. It's going to be different than your typical mods. You're going to look at more of this, how do you converge with wireless, wireline, data servers, satellite, bring it all together into more of this seamless network experience. Uh, 5G release 17, 5G release 18 has included a NTN standard, which is a non-terrestrial network standard which allows for satellite integration within the 5G standard. So that's a good first step in terms of standardization. But there's still so much to do in terms of fiber deployment, uh, deployment on cell sites in terms of, do we need to put servers at the cell site? Do we need to do them at the switch level? Um, is there how many more of these uh, teleports do we yeah. need? There's a lot of development work out there. Um, and, and frankly, when we're done, the, the really cool part is we haven't even talked about what happens when we get out into space. So there are talks of establishing a lunar outpost on the moon. The idea is to get to the moon, and one of the initial projects is called LunaNet by NASA, where the idea is to build a lunar network for connectivity. Wow. So we're talking about there's work on, so much work to do on Earth, on the space highway to get to the moon, and then build a network on the network. So it, it, the sky truly is the limit when, when we think about connectivity. That's awesome. That's awesome. Wow, that, that, that's a trip, that's for sure. Um, with respect to all the stuff that's going into space uh, and you know, their shelf life, is it all just staying up there? Is, is there gonna be like, enough room for every, all the satellites that we need with all the space junk that's probably just floating around the Earth? Well, uh, I'll, I'll give you a technical answer that I received from one of my team members, which was when I asked the question and they said, Space is fucking huge. Parental <laughs> <laughs> advisory but, on this podcast. But to, but to add to that, AI is going to help with more of that collision avoidance, debris avoidance, sparing. Uh, there, there are concepts out there for space tow trucks. Wow. So to you know, look at debris that you put them in. And basically, there are techniques already with the current satellite in, uh, implementations where the idea is, as it reaches the end of its life, how do you deorbit that satellite? and have it burn into the atmosphere. 
So yes, there are more solutions that are needed on the sustainability side, a lot more work that still needs to be done, but it's definitely top of mind when you look at uh, the space community and looking at, okay, what can we do for um, you know, collision avoidance? How do we yeah. create a more harmonious network when we have so many constellations going out there? Right. How do we responsibly build in space? Wow, fantastic. All right, well, we're, we're pretty much out of time. I wish we had more time, but I'm glad, it, I'm, I'm glad we, we got to meet each other. Um, we obviously, thank you, Rod, for introducing me to Kamal. He's a fascinating guy, um, and really appreciate you coming out here for, for just this. And we, 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 we're really grateful that you're here. Appreciate it. Thank you both. And we appreciate the 400 people out listening yes, to the podcast. Yes, we do. Right now, so thank the people you in the. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and what, about the, what about the bucket? What's that? What about the beers? The beers are there. So in between, you know, uh, the next group coming up, grab them. Grab them. Smoke them if you got them. Drink them if you want them. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Signing off. There I have it. Hey, history for Wireless West. We did a podcast from the stage. That was awesome. Thank you guys so much. Take a photo. Why not? Thank you for joining us. We'll see you back here in two weeks. Until then, for more information, visit calwa.org. That's www.calwa.org.